every MLB ballpark has its own unique character and charm. Those small differences from city to city are part of what makes baseball games really special. And some of those stadiums that could have come to life never were built. And instead, they live on as these what-ifs for us to consider. So we're going to journey through some of the most amazing ballparks that were never built. Today on Rounders, A History of Baseball in America. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Rounders, A History of Baseball in America. It's me, your host, Jeff Lambert. Thanks for joining me for another week. I'm excited to connect with you. We've got a great episode I think you're going to enjoy today. Really quick, before we get into it, I want to say hello to the members that joined this week as part of our growing community uh, and signed up for the free email newsletter and bonus show. So shout outs go to MG Kozu. Hope I'm saying that right. Fred R. and Griffin W., thank you so much for signing up for our free email newsletter. You get this episode with extra notes and photos and videos in your inbox every week, and you get access to that bonus show every week, this week in baseball history. And then we have WMJ88, special shout out to you. You signed up as a premium subscriber this week and are giving a little bit to the show every month financially to help us grow uh, in addition to everything our free subscribers get, WMJ88 is going to get all that, plus the ability to get the show a day earlier than everyone else without ads. And on top of that, he gets the opportunity to have his feedback read in episode. So I ask questions specifically to our premium subscribers and ask for their feedback. And if they have opinions, I read them on the show, give credit back to you. It's another way that you can get deeper into being able to take part in what we're discussing. So special thanks to you. Special thanks to everybody who took a moment to be able to just join this growing community. I'm trying to build a baseball enthusiast. And every week, you know, like I said, it's just exciting to see people, uh, like-minded people come together who really love baseball and be able to enjoy it together. It's great. It's part of the big reason why I do this. So Thank you. And with that said, let's go ahead and jump into this week's episode. I think you're going to love it. It was fun researching the what if scenarios of some of these ballparks that could have come to pass, but didn't for various reasons. And we're going to get into that. And just thinking about, you know, an alternate dimension scenarios of being able to visit some of these places and how it might have changed the landscape of the game. Who knows, right? So let's go ahead and jump into this week's topic. Here we go. Let's start off by talking about the Dome Stadium, which would have been built in Brooklyn, New York. Go back in time with me to the early 1950s. There was a renowned architect named Buckminster Fuller, and he designed a dome-shaped stadium for the Brooklyn Dodgers. Now, this ballpark, if you're familiar with Brooklyn, it would have been located at the intersection of Flatbush and Atlantic Avenue. And this new concept was designed to seat 52,000 fans, and it really was, the whole concept was really much ahead of its time period. The marquee concept was to build a dome on the stadium that would protect spectators and players from the elements, essentially. So the dome would have been built out of this lightweight aluminum structure, and that would have allowed it to very easily be put to cover the field during poor weather conditions and be retracted with minimal effort. Keep in mind, this is the 1950s, and this was the idea that was presented as part of this concept to keep the Dodgers in Brooklyn and to be able to build a futuristic uh, venue that would attract people to the venue. 
So this was commissioned by Walter O'Malley, who was the owner of the Dodgers, got Buckminster Fuller, a world-renowned architect, to create this. And together, the goal was, okay, we have a new stadium in place. We can build it. This is O'Malley's really last attempt to try and be able to get the Dodgers to stay in the city. And on top of that, O'Malley went to Brooklyn's, uh, you know, governmental heads and said, I'm willing to finance the construction of this new stadium with private money. I'm not asking you for any taxpayer money. The problem, the sticking point was the proposed location for the dome, which is just a circle back, was at the intersection of Flatbush and Atlantic Avenues. The issue was that that uh, area was already commissioned by the city to host a railroad terminal. Yeah, a railroad terminal. So this was uh, Robert Moses, who was one of the top heads of the government, city government. He and the city planners did not want this to be built. So this disagreement over the dome being built in this site where another proposed construction project was going to happen became the sticking point between two parties. And because of that, Moses tried to make this work in terms of trying to get O'Malley to consider other places to put the stadium, but O'Malley wasn't having. He said, look, this is, we designed it to be built in this spot. This is where we want it. And perhaps because of kickbacks from the railroad station, perhaps because of just the sticking point with the owner, the city's representatives would not budge. And that was the death of this new concept stadium. And many baseball historians believe that this disagreement over the stadium's location was one of the main factors that led to the Dodgers relocating out west to California. And I think it's clear from just doing this research on on top of what I'm presenting to you that if this dome had been approved, this could have significantly changed the history of the Dodgers and Major League Baseball in general. The design was clearly ahead of its time, and it's really interesting to consider how it might have influenced the design of other future sports stadiums had it been built during this time period. And then, of course, you have the amazing what if of what if the Dodgers had stayed in Brooklyn, right? What would have happened to the landscape of the National League and the American League as things developed? So certainly uh, a very uh, tragic what if that the Dome Stadium in Brooklyn was never built. Stadium number two, the Boston Dome in Boston, Massachusetts. So again, let's go to 1964. The city of Boston is tossing around ideas. How are we going to find better accommodations for all of our professional sports teams? You got the Red Sox playing in Fenway. The 1960s were not a good decade for the Sox. And on top of that, Fenway really was becoming an eyesore. It was run down, falling apart, not an attractive place. You go to Fenway today and you see, you know, the new coat of paint and the additions that have put on the stadium. And the new ownership has done an amazing job of turning that venue and getting another 25 or so years out of it as they have. But the Fenway Park in the 1960s was not like that. There was a uh, big desire uh, on the part of the fans to want a new venue for their team. On top of that, you had the Bruins and the Celtics playing in the Boston Garden, which had its own uh, structural problems. You had issues where you had beams right in front of seats. People would have to look around these beams to be able to see certain parts of the game. There were issues with switching over from the basketball court to the ice arena for the Bruins. A lot of times the ice would start to melt during games because of the poor uh, refrigerating freezing technology in the stadium. 
the old Boston Garden had its issues. And then on top of that, you have the Boston Patriots, the Boston Patriots, yeah, who started in 1959 as a professional organization and then ended up joining um, the NFL or what would soon be called the NFL. And they were hopping around playing their games at various college campuses to be able to play their home games. So all of Boston's teams needed a new place to play. And here's what comes along, a proposal that was set forth to the Massachusetts legislature that would have been this massive interconnected indoor sports complex. And it would be a home for all of Boston's teams, the Patriots, the Celtics, the Bruins, and the Red Sox. And on top of that, the complex even listed dog racing on the list of activities that it could host. Imagine that. So the plans called for a three-piece interconnected sports complex. So you'd have a 55,000-seat arena, You'd have a retractable roof stadium, and then you'd have an 18,000-seat indoor arena on top of that. And to add a a cherry onto the cake, as it were, there was a 5,400-space parking garage that was added to the initial plans. I'll explain why that's important in a second. But just imagine this massive facility that was being proposed. Now, on top of that, the venue was uh, going to be built next to South Station in Boston, which is where there's a major train hub. And it's also right off uh, a major highway, which would have made it really uh, simple for fans to be able to get into the stadium to see any of their teams. As a matter of fact, South Station now, I think, is the second most uh, uh, used, most busy um, transportation hub in New England. So imagine what it would have been if this stadium had been built. So that was the proposed location for it. And on top of that, going back to the parking thing, the, the consideration of the 5,400 uh, seat seat for cars, I guess, parking garage that was being proposed, that was a direct response to how bad Parking is not only in Boston, but parking especially to go see the Celtics and the Bruins at the Garden and the Red Sox at Fenway Park. It was a horrible experience then, and it still is, to be honest with you, to be able to get into the city and park and see these teams. So this new stadium proposed to solve that major issue, and there were some fans that were really excited about this. This solves one of the biggest gripes in addition to the dilapidated stadium uh, that the teams were playing in. You also had a desire to be able to get in and out more easily. And Joe Cronin, who was the Red Sox manager at the time, even took a moment to weigh in on this new stadium proposal. And he said, quote, we're always interested in getting a little more parking around Fenway, end quote. So you can see that there was a buzz around being able to build this superstructure. Now, the crowning architectural feature on this proposed venue were these 12 diamond-shaped roof panels that would be part of a retractable roof over the entire complex. And this was the key feature because not only did it really catch the eye line and look beautiful, it was the potential solution to being able to hold Sparting events more effectively during the cold winter months, having this retractable roof. So the stadium's backers that initially put out this proposal tried to make it even more palatable to the Massachusetts legislature by saying, we're going to fund this without any taxpayer money. But the total cost of the project was over $100 million. And remember, this is in the 1960s. And so there were several hurdles that came up over funding as time went on. And some of the teams started to show cold feet, Red Sox first, then the Bruins, then the Celtics, and teams started 
really backing off the idea of building this. And then you had it brought to the Massachusetts legislature for approval, and it died in session, and that was the end of it. So this Boston Dome was never built. But again, imagine how the entire landscape of the city would have changed had the stadium come to pass. I mean, what is now the South Station area, that's largely the city's financial district now. But that would have turned into a sports hub for an entire region of the country. And just thinking about how history would be different as a Massachusetts native and how it would have shaped New England in general, it's mind-boggling. So that's one that would have been really neat to see in an alternate reality. So that's number two, the Boston Dome. Stadium number three that never became a reality, we're going to go up to Canada to Labatt Park in Montreal. So in the late 1990s, the Montreal Expos really needed a new stadium. So the team's ownership decided to come forward with a new proposal for a ballpark that was going to be in the downtown part of the city, and it would be called Labatt Park. Uh, Labatt Park, of course, named after the famous uh, beer company, <laughs> which was one of the primary sponsors. It would have been located, if you're familiar with the city, near the Peel Basin area. So the design of the stadium was really ambitious like these other ones. So the stadium was planned to have a natural grass field, which is a huge difference from where the Expos were playing their current games in Olympic Stadium. It would have a retractable roof. Obviously, you're going to need that in Canada. And it would have had a smaller size, 36,000 seats. And that was to, I think, respond again, going back to where they currently played their games, which was built for the Olympics. Massive stadium. Watching Montreal Expos games in the 90s, most of the seats were empty. But it was because it was not built for a, a standard baseball crowd of the time period. So it was drastically smaller than the current place where the Expos were playing their games. But I think it was a good response as to why. So not only that, it, it had a modern look to it. It was very sleek. It had a shape resembling a wishbone, too, which is really interesting. Uh, instead of like a boxy structure that a lot of the other stadiums that were built in the 70s and 80s had. So architecturally, it was very different. It was uh, eye-grabbing, I guess, to say the least. Take a look at the pictures again in the email. You'll see what I mean. So the proposed location, again, it's near the Peel Basin, but it would have been located on the corner of Saint-Jacques and Peel. That's right near where the Bell Center is, and that's where the NHL's Montreal Canadiens play. So you have, again, trying to build like a sports hub inside the city. That was the goal for putting this uh, new stadium concept there. Now, the other thing, too... This is putting the Montreal Expos more directly in the city, making it more accessible for the fans. Because where the Expos were playing their games currently, not only was it just a horrible ballpark. I mean, I have a whole episode on the Montreal Expos, and you can learn more about Olympic Stadium where they played their games. Um, and it's not just me. Widely regarded as one of the worst ballparks in MLB history. Um, it, the Olympic Stadium was very far away from the center of where I think a, a lot of uh, fans could access it. So this new stadium tried to fix that by placing it in a hub area and creating like a sports district almost inside the city of Montreal. So despite the innovative design, despite the potential benefits it could bring to the team and the city, there were significant challenges right from the start. So you had Quebec's head of state, Lucien Bouchard. He did not favor providing any government funding for this new stadium, especially since in his mind, you already have Olympic Stadium and we're still paying it off. 
and uh, we have bigger problems. So uh, the city of Montreal was having issues with hospital funding, and cities, uh, hospitals around the city were actually closing down due to lack of funding. So he felt it was not tenable when there was already a functional structure to put uh, city money forward to build this new ballpark. So, and I think that's understandable. But without that funding from the city, the financial hurdle to build it proved insurmountable, and that project was eventually shelves, shelved. Excuse me. So the Montreal Expos's owner at the time, Jeffrey Loria, he decided, and I think he was looking for an excuse. We talked about that in the other episode. Decided after that, you know what? I'm moving the team out of the city. And then, of course, we have the Montreal Expos relocate to Washington, D.C., where they became the Nationals after the 2004 season. Now, many have pointed out that the current Nationals Park has a really similar design to that of that proposed Montreal venue. And, you know, that could suggest that the vision for Labatt Park sort of made its way over when the team moved to D.C. and got theirs. So Labatt Park, I think, is the story amongst all these that shows how important finances play into a stadium's construction, uh, from getting private funding to convincing local and state governments to toss in money for a project. And that just didn't work out. So, uh, again, if you want to hear more about Olympic Stadium and the Expos' journey in general of trying to stay in the city – we have a great episode on it. It's actually one of our most popular episodes. I included a link in the uh, email newsletter for you to check out. I would recommend it if you haven't listened to it already. So that's Labatt Park in Montreal. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Stadium number four that we're going to visit is, well, we can't visit it, but we'll visit it in our minds. That's the Sky Dome concept that almost was built in Phoenix, Arizona. So the Phoenix Skies Dome was this visionary project that really aimed to bring a Major League Baseball team to Phoenix, not in the 1990s when they got the Diamondbacks, but back in the 1960s. So there was a stadium that was proposed for the city that was designed to be, again, 1960s, fully air-conditioned, an indoor stadium, and that would have allowed a team to viably play in that part of the country because it would have protected them from the extreme summer temperatures. But just like a lot of these other ones, the project never got off the ground and the main reason came down to city private funding agreements. Now, I threw this one in just because it really would have kicked off I think a greater expansion into the Southwest for major league baseball earlier on. And I think that's why it's interesting. Uh, there is limited information available about the specifics of the Phoenix sky dome. It was really hard to find a lot of information, but it is known that the architectural firm that was selected to design the facility had proposed a glued laminated timber dome that would cover a large area under one roof. So the idea was to keep it lightweight, easy to be able to air condition. And that concept, even though it didn't come to pass, did influence the design of other venues across the country. Well, not across the country, across the state, excuse me. So the University Walk-Up Sky Dome in Flagstaff, Arizona, 
which is the home of the uh, sporting events for Northern Arizona University. That was completed in the late 1970s, and it had a really similar design to what was proposed for this Phoenix Sky Dome. So there you have it. I mean, it lived on in some ways, just not in the ways of being able to uh, host an MLB team during this time period. So again, it would take several decades before Phoenix finally got to host its own major league team uh, as a stadium. The Diamondbacks came around in 1998, and their current home, Chase Field, also has a roof. uh, And it's a possible nod to what was seen in the 1960s that the only way this is viable is if we find a way to be able to keep that extreme summer heat away from the players. And that certainly has been accomplished. And that brings us to our final baseball concept that was never to become a reality. And it's the one that I think is my favorite in terms of like what could have been concepts. And that was a stadium known as the Pirates of the Monongahela River in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I probably slaughtered that for my Pittsburgh fans. I'm sorry. I did the best I could. So there was a stadium proposal in 1958 that was a project that was proposed to bring a futuristic home to the Pittsburgh Pirates and to add a new spin that would change baseball stadiums forever kind of a thing. It was a multi-purpose facility and it was built over the Monongahela River. Yes, you heard that right. The stadium was going to be built over a river. Now, the proposed location of the stadium was strategic. They didn't just build it over a river for the heck of it. It would have been built where the historic Smithfield Street Bridge is today, for those of you who have been to Pittsburgh. And it's a central location in the city that actually wasn't far off from where they eventually built the actual stadium that they decided to build around this time, Three Rivers Stadium. So just to be clear, again, this is a stadium that would have been built in a notorious location in the city, over a river. You got to check out the pictures. It's really beautiful. So you have it in downtown Pittsburgh. It's easily accessible. It adds to a vibrant downtown scene. And the design of the stadium was really ambitious. I mean, it was unusual for the time period. And it created this kind of exotic, futuristic look that was unmatched during this time for any ballpark, let alone baseball ballparks. Uh, It almost looks like something out of the Jetsons. to just kind of create a, you know, um, a parallel. So the entire shape is futuristic. It's not boxy like the other uh, stadiums of the time period. You've got it over a river. You've got it in the heart of Pittsburgh. It sounds great, right? And on top of that, it was supposed to feature a hotel on site with plenty of parking. And again, that would have made it unique to the baseball uh, circuit of this time period. But despite the innovative design, despite the potential benefits it could bring to the team in the city, the project faced significant challenge in, you guessed it, finances. And the ability to get the city on board to be able to help with the funding of the stadium never materialized, and the project was eventually abandoned. And the Pirates eventually moved to a new stadium called Three Rivers Stadium in 1970. It was much more conventional in its design, and... It's right up there with uh, Olympic Stadium for the Expos in terms of uh, worst ballparks ever. Uh, did not have a lot of love from the Pittsburgh locals. 
for a lot of different reasons, uh, but certainly unimaginative compared to this concept that we're talking about. And this one, just like the Boston Dome, it just presents a fascinating what if, if it had been built. How would baseball parks built after it have been different if these concepts had ever come to life? Who knows, right? So those are our top five baseball stadiums that were never built that could have really changed so many aspects of the game, but unfortunately just live on as concepts that we can imagine the what-ifs but never get to actually physically go there and touch them. And that's the sad part of it. But I also want to touch on before we finish, there are baseball park concepts that could become a reality in the future that are being discussed right now. And I just want to touch on those real quick. So there's several exciting concepts that are being proposed right now. So three different places, and I just want to highlight them. Number one, the Atlanta Braves are planning a new stadium that's designed with the elements in mind. So these conceptual renderings that have been put out so far, it's presenting a stadium that will hold 41,500 people. There's a 90-foot roof that's retractable. There's air conditioning on every level. And the design aims to bring a higher percentage of seats closer to the field than any other ballpark. It's neat. It's almost like, again, you got to look at the pictures, but the way that they, they make the space between the infield foul lines much closer to the uh, seats than in other stadiums. And same thing in the outfield, the way that it kind of curls around just allows the seats to be much more intimate. It looks like a really interesting concept. So the ballpark's uh, going to be integrated into a larger downtown development. It's going to feature restaurants. There's going to be like a big water feature that they're building. There's going to be a boutique hotel. It looks really neat. So um, this could come to pass. It's in development right now in terms of how it's going to come about. Funding is still an issue right now. Uh, whether it comes to pass or not, we'll see. But this is something we could be looking at in the next decade. So who knows? Second stadium I wanted to make you aware of that's in concept right now is across on the other side of the country. It's being funded by the Miller family, which is this billionaire outfit that's based out of Utah. So their goal is they want to bring an MLB team to Salt Lake City. And they've already purchased a 100-acre lot on the city's west side to be able to build a stadium to attract teams to go there. So the early concepts that have come out shows a really modern design. It integrates seamlessly with the urban landscape. So the way that the outfield roof is cut, it actually shows off the skyline of the city in this really beautiful way. And uh, they're hoping that this stadium being built uh, with some water features around it, as well as being, again, integrated with local restaurants and hotels, will be attractive enough to possibly get a team to go there. So Salt Lake is in the mix to be able to become a future MLB location. And then, of course, if we hop over to Las Vegas, this one's been in the news. The Oakland Athletics ownership has signed a binding agreement to purchase 49 acres of land in downtown Las Vegas. And they plan to utilize this site to be able to move the athletics to Las Vegas. So they're hoping to finalize this stadium deal by January 2024. Major League Baseball has actually given them that deadline that you need to work this out or we need to move on. So the concept showed this new stadium as being about 35,000 seats. Uh, it would have a partially retractable roof. It's located on the west side of the Vegas Strip right across the freeway from T-Mobile Arena, which is where the Las Vegas Golden Knights of the NHL play. And it's just north of Allegiant Stadium where the NFL's Las Vegas Raiders play. So again, kind of creating a sports district inside the city. 
the the biggest issue for the A's right now is they're trying to finalize a, a public private partnership with the state of Nevada and being able to formulate a relocation plan with Major League Baseball to move the A's out of Oakland. So of all of those things come together by the estimated deadline of January 2024, we will see the A's breaking ground on this new Vegas ballpark and they would propose to move in by the start of the 2027 season right around the corner. So there you have it, folks. Three stadiums in concept that could become a reality very soon. Overall, these unbuilt stadiums, going back to the topic of this episode, I mean, it tells different stories, innovation, ambition, the challenges of bringing like a grand vision to life. And it just it reminds us that there are a lot of complexities that go into building sports venues. There has to be financial viability. There has to be partnerships with the local government. There has to uh, be a design element that makes it fit in with the local environment and the city. All those things have to come together for something to be able to get off the ground. And even though these five stadiums were never built, their designs have in a lot of ways continued to inspire and intrigue future designs or designs after they were proposed. So especially from the 1950s to the 70s, it's a fascinating chapter in the history of baseball. It's a testament to trying new things, bold visions, ambitious dreams. Not all of them shook out. And these are five examples of that. So what's going to happen in the future? It's going to be interesting. Baseball stadiums, like I said, they're so interesting to go visit each and every one of them. I'm on a personal quest to visit all 30 ballparks. I'm hoping to be able to do that, try and chip away at one a year. Um, and hopefully I'll have more on my list as we go. So I'd love to hear which stadium you would have liked to have seen built. Take a moment and uh, fill out the poll in the email that you get. I would love to hear your thoughts. I will see you next week. And as always, please don't forget, there are only two seasons winter and baseball. See you next time.